Welcome to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me, your host, Father Craig Guerra. And me, Father David Pelican. As we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Men of the Hearts podcast. Today we have on two very special guests to the show. They are brother priests, and yes, all priests are brothers, but these are brothers from the same mother. Both were called to the priesthood and both said yes to God's wonderful invitation. However, one ended up in the Diocese of Lansing while the other serves here in the Archdiocese of Detroit. And one was our own Father David's classmate. So we might ha- right. hear some really good stories uh, later on as well. So <laughs> welcome, Father Zach and Father Drew, to the show. How are you today? Thank you. Doing well. Good to be with you guys. Good to be here. Yeah, doing well. Doing awesome. Well. Thanks and as, for having us. As always, we have Father David at my side. How goes it for you? It goes well over here, Father Craig. It's uh, it's good to be here. Good to be with uh, Father Zach and Father Drew. And uh, yeah. It's always great to have you here, Father David. Just sitting next to me with a smile on your face just puts everybody <laughs> at ease. I think because you're in the room here, these guys are, are feeling great. So it's wonderful to have you here today. Oh, thank you. So Father Zach and Father Drew, before we get into your uh, vocation stories, it'd be great to just tell us a blessing that's uh, happened to you in the last month or so. Uh, anything going on? Do you want to take us away or you want me to go? Sure, yeah. Um, well, I'm going to be teaching here at the seminary this fall at Sacred Heart. So I've, I've been living here for a bit now, but I've kind of come back. I've got things in pretty good order for the fall for teaching philosophy and working with the uh, guys here in the program and formation. So I'm, I'm happy and I'm grateful that all that's coming together pretty gracefully. Awesome. And you're finishing up a thesis, right? I am. Yeah, I'm finishing up my philosophy doctorate in the meantime as well. So I'm, I, and I've got a, I've got a full draft of that in too. So there, there shouldn't be too much more work to do with that. So uh, you just do that on your spare time, like in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ba- <afternoon>. basically, t- <laughs> touching it up at this point will be a kind of spare time project. Yeah. What, what's your topic? The general topic I'm writing on is this issue of scientism, a lot of people call it. So in other words, like how you can get into philosophical problems if you kind of overextend scientific explanations of things or scientific models of rationality. So I'm trying to kind of look at some people who are more sympathetic to that way of thinking and critique them a bit. Sounds good. Are yeah. you ready to teach? Have you taught before? Is this I am. This is time? my first go at it, uh, right. at least at this level. So uh, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I, I'm teaching philosophy of nature this fall, which I, I think will be a good fit. It, it kind of doves, dovetails with what I'm writing. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited for the opportunity. Awesome. So. Awesome. And uh, where do you buy your socks? Most people don't know this, but Father Zach always has on cool socks, except for today. What's yeah, up? today <laughs> I just happened. Looking a little every, today. About every seven to ten days, I'll just wear a plain pair of black socks, and, and today I happen to do that. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I mean, I have a few different sources. One one place I've come to get a lot of my, of my socks and sometimes shoes is um, there's this outfit called oddball.com that basically – sell socks and shoes for guys with large feet and I'm about a size 16 so I've tended to get a lot of my socks there because you know a lot of socks they'll they'll go for you know they'll have them for like sizes 9 to 12 or 12 to 15 (laughs) 
But Oddball is one of these few places that has like a 14 to 17 size range, you know? So perfect, perfect. So if, perfect uh, for me. Yeah. if our listeners uh, don't know, because they don't have a visual here, Father Zach is 6'9"? Yeah, I'm about 6'9", right? yeah. And what, what shoe size do you wear? Uh, so 16. Yep. 16. Yep. That's a, that's a big foot. It is, yes. <laughs> yes, and... Uh, <laughs> It can be tricky to find stuff sometimes, you know, shoes, clothes, et cetera, when you're this big. But I think the nice thing, too, is that, uh, you know, uh, your your option pool is, is more limited. So, um, mm. yeah, you know, you, you, you're sometimes not as overwhelmed by options as other people would be. You know, you sort of have your select places you can go and, you know, you know that. Yeah, you know but that you found the place to get the coolest things. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good for socks for me. So I'll have to check them out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Father Drew, why did you uh, become so small? You're not as tall as your brother. <laughs> <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> Who knows? Only God knows. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I always remember as we grew up, even watching him play baseball, I remember in Little League, he just looked like he was in the wrong age group. You know? <laughs> and I was always... I was, and he was always really good too, but he just, I was like, who is this tall, like guy who just looks like he's like three years or three seasons ahead of everybody else that we're playing with. But yeah, it worked out for him. I don't know where the, the height came, I think from our dad's side a little bit, uh, perhaps. So, but yeah, I, I landed more on the, uh, on the shorter side, you could say, although I think I'm average, I'm like six one ish. And then I have, uh, I think I'm at a size 11. So there you go. Yeah. I think that's pretty standard. Well, I'm at five six, so your brother is a whole head taller than me, literally. <laughs> we have these great stories, and we were real, really little, where he would, uh, we'd be, you know, kind of wrestling around or whatever, and he would always. Sometimes I'd we, you know, chase each other, and we were really little kids. And I remember going up the stairs, and because he was so tall, he would just fall forward and reach and like grab my foot and just yank me down <laughs> the stairs. <laughs> so he always won yep. in the end somehow. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always felt a little outclassed. Yeah. So what's uh, what's been a blessing in your life? I know you uh, are you know, dropped into learning Spanish really really quickly here. Si, right? senor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't yeah. You no. Tell so us about I that? I just landed. Uh, was had the pleasure of being at St. John Fisher for a year with Father Dan Jones, who's one of our beloved, uh, a blessed memory, one of our mm -hmm. beloved faculty here. So I was with him for the year until uh, he went to be with the Lord. And then uh, I just got sent to um, St. Max, or St. Maximilian Colby, wrong, wrong St. St. David and Malachi. <laughs> I think of them too often because I love them both. But so I'm over at St. Damien's in Pontiac and I'm excuse me, currently learning Spanish, which has uh, been a fun experience. My Spanish is pretty, uh, pretty uh, much struggle bus, but uh, it's, <laughs> uh, it's going and it's been, a, it's been a delight. Everybody's been super graceful and just gracious to me as I've kind of tried to learn and, and get through it. And I think I've been making good progress and Father Jake's been wonderful. I think one of the graces so far, I would say, is just um, really being kind of stretched out of my, my comfort level. And as a priest, I think maybe just you, you oftentimes you, you want to give yourself in terms of um, just offering, being able to speak to people and offer what's on your heart from the Lord to them. And uh, especially as you know, you offer the sacraments and whatnot. And sometimes with the language barrier, it's difficult to do that. So it's it's really just like, a, I think just knowing that they really just need Jesus and his love. And uh, I can still I can still manifest that and give that as a priest, even if I don't mm. I can't give them everything that I want to give them because I don't know the I don't know how to say it sometimes in the language. So uh, it's just been a real kind of grace of, I think, just learning how to be kind of in some ways poor and just like 
learning how to be like a little little kid again almost and kind of like learn how to um, step into the language so that I can actually be of better use to them. So it's been mm. a more a more deeper reliance upon God, you could say, which has been really good. So yeah, That's when great. you're preaching, do like little kids laugh at you or something like that? I mean, because they have no filter. <laughs> like, what did he just say? <laughs> it went. It was a classic. Like two weeks ago, I I started my homily and I had I had kind of translated it a bit quickly that weekend, you could say. And my first line was supposed to be a statement. And I remember reading it in Spanish and then like a bunch of people responded. And I was like, wait a second, that's not right. You shouldn't be responding. <laughs> so apparently I didn't translate quite right. Yeah. So no, there's, there's plenty of those moments in which case I think people, uh, yeah, find me a bit, you know, um, a bit hilarious, but anyways, it's good for me. <laughs> so good. it's good for them. Hopefully yeah. father, uh, father drew and I went to Mexico together, uh, <laughs> several years ago in seminary. And so, uh, yeah, I can attest to it's, uh, probably stretching you a little bit, but, uh, I don't think anybody would have thought when we were in Mexico that I would be the guy of the class, like kind of venturing <laughs> out into, into, uh, <laughs> hey. a parish where Spanish is kind of the primary language. So like they didn't have a class for you at the language school. You were so bad <laughs> is, at it, right? This is actually true. <laughs> <laughs> Father David can attest to this. I think I drifted backwards so, throughout the time. So Father Drew and I started out in kind of the remedial Spanish class, you might say. And then That's uh, very kind. <laughs> by the end, uh, Father Drew was in a class uh, of his own. So <laughs> I was certainly in a class of my own, very much by myself. <laughs> but hey, the, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And uh, Amen to that. I'm sure the people love you there. And, uh, and God will work through you. Yeah. So Father David, what's been happening with you this month? What, uh, what blessings have you received? Oh boy! Well, a big blessing at Divine Child was actually the the students coming back uh, last week. For me, we uh, it's been a little quieter this summer, which was nice. Got to get a little away on some vacation and such, but it was really cool to just see all the kids back for the first time yesterday. They brought a lot of bring a lot of energy to the campus, and uh, so yeah, that's just been a blessing to to be with them, interact with them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was walking the track yesterday morning watching the parents take pictures of their kids on the first day of school. Oh, yeah. It was so nice. It was so picturesque. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and you uh, celebrated a birthday, right? I sure did. Yep. Yep. I, uh, still the youngest I priest in the Archdiocese? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still the youngest priest in the Archdiocese of Detroit. And yes, Father Drew came, uh, came and celebrated with us, with me and a few others uh, for my birthday. So it was very... It's good to good to hang hang out with you guys. It's good to be there. <laughs> cool. Watch them get older. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> for me, I didn't do much uh, this this month. I just sat at this table waiting for this next episode to start. <laughs> That's it. Uh, really? Yeah. No. no. We, we had uh, the summer seminar with the archbishop, and the archbishop calls back all of his seminarians to spend three days with him at a retreat center. And it's not a retreat. It's just a time for all of us to get back together because uh, everybody goes to different ministries throughout the summer. Because when you're a seminarian, you just don't have your summers free. You actually have different assignments to do. And some guys go to the Holy Land language school, go to different parishes, uh, IPF, which is uh, something else we can talk about later on. Um, all these different wonderful things. So to come back and to spend time uh, with each other and just kind of just catch up, but then also to see the archbishop and talk to him, and he comes alive, really, because what he does mm. is uh, he teaches. So he'll have um, some type of uh, 
thing that he'll print out of, of different readings. It's funny because we only get through a page. It might print off like a hundred <laughs> pages, but we only get off the page because we get stuck on a, on a paragraph, but that's how wonderful it is. It's really cool. The first time I was the class that started it, uh, it was my last year in the seminary and he wanted us all to purchase a book. Well, by the time we were all trying to purchase it on Amazon, by the end of that seminar, the book was like $500 because it was such, it was so <laughs> in demand. It's like no one could buy it. So the demand went up. Yeah, demand. Up. So it, it was a great time to be with the guys and, and, and to see the archbishop in rare form. Um, he's, he's a really great teacher, but he's really funny as well for mm. those of whom you don't really know him very well. He's really funny. So it was just a great time uh, to be a part of that. And so it's good to uh, have school starting again here. The seminarian's coming back to the seminary and uh, this building is a little bit more full now, so I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to that. And Father Craig, didn't uh, didn't I hear the Archbishop had a, a movie recommendation for the guys this time? Yeah, uh, we watched uh, High Noon, uh, oh. older, older movie. Um, it was nice. pretty cool. Kind of talked about courage and, uh, yeah, it wasn't the coolest of movies, but <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It had, sure. uh, had Lloyd Bridges in it. And all I remember Lloyd Bridges from is the movie Airplane. And I mentioned something to the <laughs> seminarians and they all looked at me like I was, uh, you know, like crazy because, of course, everybody's younger and never seen the movie Airplane before. So or awesome. the uh, Hot Shots movies from the early, <laughs> yeah, they, early yeah. to mid 90s. Yeah. 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 So. so did you paint this, Father Craig? No, I did not. We have this cool depiction, kind of vintage depiction of the city of Detroit with a nice like hand painting or hand painted the spirit moves Detroit. Looks yeah. like. I, anyways, I'm just observing the studio. Here. It's <laughs> yeah. pretty pretty sweet. Now, now, Father Craig, if they do want to see you with this background, uh, is is there any way they could do yeah, that? Yeah, they can go to Detroit DetroitPriestlyVocations.com and see different videos about discernment. That would be some great thing to do, and you can right see on. exactly what Father Drew is talking about. You should, about. yeah. It's worth it's <laughs> worth a, a look. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into your vocation stories. I, I want to let you each have time to speak how you want to speak about it. So, Father Zach, how about you? Uh, you start off the story. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was I was ordained uh, in 2015. Uh, I'm a priest of the Lansing Diocese. Um, so we. Um, so I'll probably say some things that'll fill in aspects of of Drew's story too. Um, so we were brought up Lutheran, so we're, we're you know, it's just the two of us in our family. Um, that are Catholic still? Uh, so no, we're, we're, the, we're the only two siblings, so it's, oh, okay. it's, it's just the two of us, you know, and our parents and the two of us. Um, my, our parents are both from Central Ohio originally, uh, Mansfield, Ohio. I, I was born in Toledo. They were living there when I was born. Uh, shortly after I was born, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and so I grew up there basically till basically till I was starting high school. And Drew was born there, um, but yeah, we were brought up uh, Lutheran, you know, kind of a, a a fairly typical, I suppose, kind of suburban American family. Um, we were fairly regular churchgoers. I mean, I think we would go sort of, you know, most weekends for a good portion of our childhood. Um, you know, I went through like a kind of a Lutheran confirmation program when I was in seventh or eighth grade. Um, is it considered sinful to miss, uh, 
Sunday liturgy and the Lutheran? Uh, I, you know, it, it, it might. I mean, if you sort of look what's on the books, it might be. But it, it, I, I don't think it's the kind of thing that, that people would really talk about much. Like there, there wouldn't be a, like, you know, there wouldn't be kind of a sense that it's like a, a grave sin or a mortal sin or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they, you know, it, it would sort of be frowned upon, but I don't think they would sort of talk about it and in sort of sinful terms the way that the way that the way that we might mm-hmm. um yeah so um so we did that and then uh basically when i was starting high school we moved again uh from atlanta back to ohio uh with my dad's job and you know uh, kind of started experimenting with a new church in the area when we moved and I think we did one of those things that a lot of families do where, you know, you, you move, you find a new church. It doesn't quite suit your needs in the same way. And you just kind of, as a matter of convenience, stop going regularly. So that's kind of what happened with us, more or less, you know. Um, so we weren't really practicing as Lutherans anymore once I was in high school. Um, my parents kind of liked Catholic schools. I mean, they thought they thought Catholic schools were sort of a, a cut above the rest. So they wanted us to attend those. So they they put me in an all-boys Jesuit high school, St. John's it's called in Toledo. Um, so if people know about, you know, U of D Jesuit in Detroit, for instance, it's a kind of counterpart to that. Mm. So they had me go there and... Um, you know, I did my four years there, was active in a lot of things, you know, played basketball, did campus ministry and Christian service stuff, would go on the retreats, um, you know, all the kind of usual clubs, organizations, all the rest of it. Uh, had a good time there. Had a very good four years there. Um, I got to know there were a couple older Jesuits there who I got to know in a particular way and who were kind of mentor figures to me. Um, Father Pat Hussey, God rest his soul. He died maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And then Father Frank Canfield, who is at the Columbia Air Center at the Jesuit residence there nowadays. He's, mm-hmm. I think he's in his mid to late 80s and his, his health is not in, in, in great shape. That's basically um, their retirement home. Yeah, exactly. It's a retreat center, but it's also a big retirement facility for the Jesuits. But um, yeah, Father Frank, Father Camfield was a, was in particular a big uh, influence upon me. He ran a he ran a group, kind of a small group for guys who had transferred into the school, which I had, and so I got to know him in that setting. And then I just kind of yeah, got to know him more, and you know. Uh, would seek out his counsel and, you know, just go talk to him in different ways. So anyway, so I left St. John's. I finished there in 2002, and I came to University of Michigan for, for my undergraduate studies and um, in Ann Arbor. And um, I think I, you know, I entered with a sense that I still wanted to practice my faith in, in a key way. Um, you know, like I said, I hadn't been a regular churchgoer in, in high school, but... Um, like did they I said, have school I, masses? At- yeah, I would go to the school masses, and they I did a lot of, like, Christian service, kind of work with the poor stuff when they would in, invite us to do projects like that, and I would go on the retreats, and I would help out with different kind of spiritual things at the school, you know? So I, 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 I really liked that dimension of things, and I, I had this sense that when I got to college... I wanted to keep up with my faith in a key way. Um, 
but I wasn't sure how I wanted to do it exactly. And um, so first year I was there, I, I ended up going to a Bible study with Campus Crusade for Christ, you know, which is kind of the big evangelical uh, campus organization. Um, I had a pretty good go with that, but it just, there was something about it that just didn't quite sort of stick with me or, or meet kind of the, the hopes I had for a group like that. So I kind of did the one year and then just was looking for something different. Um, so it came back my sophomore year, um, kind of touched base with a few different, uh, Christian groups on campus. Um, Ended up getting in touch with this group called University Christian Outreach, or UCO, that um, is is kind of ecumenical in its mission. Um, so there are Protestants, Catholics, Orthodox, others involved in it, though it's it's largely Catholic in its makeup, and it kind of grew out of the charismatic renewal in, in Ann Arbor mm-hmm. um, back in the 60s and 70s. Um, so I ended up getting in touch with them and just, uh, it was kind of a really good fit for me. And I, I, I got involved with them and was doing kind of a small group, like a men's group with them and, and, um, you know, active in their meetings, their prayer meetings and different things and sort of formation and teaching they were doing. And so just got, got very well connected and integrated with, with UCO over the next few years. Um, at, at the same time, I decided I wanted to study philosophy. So I was doing that um, and really just really enjoyed that. I mean, I just really took to it in a particular way. I liked the the topics we were discussing, the authors we were reading, the kind of approach to asking questions and thinking them through and that sort of thing. Um, and I think studying philosophy and really developing an interest in that got me more interested in theology as well and kind of the, the, the Christian intellectual tradition of philosophy and theology and, you know, the way those things sort of held together or had developed through the centuries. Um, so I got kind of more, all that is to say, I got, I was kind of exploring my faith at a deeper intellectual level as well as kind of getting involved with it more practically through UCO. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as time went on, I, I realized like, you know, I, I hadn't been a I hadn't been a regular Lutheran at this point for at least sort of five or six years. And especially since I was studying philosophy, you know, I had a little bit more of this impulse to kind of, well, I, I, I kind of want to think this through on my own. I don't want to just kind of do what I happen to have been raised with. So I kind of took that approach to things. And Again, I had a number of these good friends who were Catholic and so on and so forth. So things kind of added up and I just got more and more uh, fascinated with and interested in the Catholic faith and, um, you know, uh, w- was kind of more engaged by the whole kind of, you know, Aristotelian, Thomistic kind of scholastic tradition. And, you know, I was reading some people like Newman and this was some $5 words there. You know, some, yeah, yeah. You want to explain to everybody what Aristotelian means and all that? So stuff? kind of the whole tradition of thinking that kind of grew out of Aristotle and that was kind of developed by Thomas Aquinas and some of the other, you know, scholastic. Socrates. Uh, yeah, Socrates. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, philosophers and theologians. So and you the, would say then you had more of a head knowledge of the Lord and then came 
to him a little bit more. Well, I'd, I'd say the two kind of the the two kind of came together for me. I mean, I because there was this more kind of engaged, experiential side of things that that I was fostering through a lot of these friendships and connections I was making in, in UCO. But then there was also the kind of headier side, if you will, that was coming through the studies where I was just really finding myself kind of um, engaged with, yeah, a lot of these more kind of intellectual issues pertaining to the faith and the, you know, the authority of the church and a number of different questions like that. Um, so yeah, I kind of just grew more fascinated with like the Catholic tradition, the Catholic intellectual tradition. And, you know, after a while on, on a number of these fronts, I, I, I kind of just came to the thought that like, I think I would rather be Catholic than anything else, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I kind of agree with what the church has to say on some, some key and crucial points. And so I, I decided to go through RCIA my senior year of college. Um, so I did that uh, there in Ann Arbor at, at St. Thomas the Apostle Church in Ann Arbor. And there were uh, a couple good young priests there at the time um, who I got to know. And um, uh, Father Jeff Noose and Father Chaz Kanoy. Um, and uh, they, yeah, they just kind of welcomed me into things and I, I got to know them uh, uh, well and, you know, a number of the other folks who were in the area there. And I think it was like when I was going through RCIA that and, you know, getting to know them better and so on that I just thought like, you know, gosh, I could I could see myself doing this, you know, that is doing mm -hmm. what they do. And uh, it just it hit me pretty squarely like, yeah, I could. I could, on a number of different levels, I could I could see myself being a priest like them. I mean, you know, I like to pray, I like to study, I like to work with people who are in need. I, you know, and there were a whole set of fronts where I thought, yeah, I could just see this working. And so I, I the idea kind of hit me at first, and then I, you know, I I was brought into the church, I was confirmed, and um, you know, uh, kept thinking about it. Um, started to pray about it more and things just kind of blossomed from there. Hmm. And so then I, I worked for a couple of years after graduating, I actually worked at a Catholic school in Ann Arbor, uh, Spiritus Sanctus uh, Academy run by the Dominican sisters there uh, because they ask you to wait a couple of years if you've entered the church to go to seminary. So I worked there for a couple of years, did a little bit of evening and weekend work with UCO, helped them out and things were still strong and, you know, going, uh, heading in that direction. And so I, yeah, I entered seminary in, uh, in, uh, fall of 2008 after a, a couple years after I graduated college and, and the rest is history. So what did your parents think? I mean, are they still Lutheran or, uh, well, so Catholic yeah. Um, interestingly, I see father um, Drew smiling here. <laughs> my, or our mom, um, you know, when I was, going, you know, planning to begin RCIA, I had been living at home that summer, um, just kind of living and hanging out and working before my senior year of college. Um, so I, I had ended up talking to her a lot about kind of where, where things were headed and what I was thinking. And, so, and, and at some point I invited her just to, uh, to, to come give the RCIA program a try with me. Cause I thought, well, you know, this, this might be something you'd like. It might be a neat way to kind of get involved with church going again, et cetera. So I, I offered her to join me in the program and she, she did. So she went along and 
she actually ended up becoming Catholic uh, as well. Um, my dad, our dad is still kind of, I guess, effectively a, a non-practicing Lutheran, um, but, but you know, he, he, he prays, and I think he's got a, a kind of lively faith in his own right. Did he support you? I mean, was he like, this is crazy, you're going to go to the seminary? Yeah, I mean, they were, they were surprised when I told them at first, and they, I mean, I think they kind of weighed in and were sort of like, well... You know, we think it'd be good if you maybe waited a little bit longer, tried a few more things first, dated a few more people first. But, you know, it was one of those things where I just, I thought the moment, the time was really right, you know, and there was kind of a, a grace, if you will, to, to do it, to, to give it a go. And I, and I told him, you know, I just thought like, well, I, I really didn't think sort of in good conscience, I could just, uh, you know, uh, stall it just for the sake of stalling it you know it really the, it really seemed as though things were were primed for me to for me to make that move then at that juncture you know and uh and so i did and, and so ever you know uh w once i told them that that i was going to do it that i was going to go ahead with it i mean they were very they were very supportive the whole way through you know and they've continued to be yeah so were your parents living in Toledo at the time still? Well, they had actually moved up to Michigan, so that was a subsequent step. So they lived where they live now, uh, kind of down by Saline, Saline, Milan, sort of just south of Ann Arbor. Okay. So they're there still, and, you know, so we get to... We so get the to Lansing Diocese here. made sense for you. Well, yeah, so I entered the church in Ann Arbor, you know, and, and so the Lansing Diocese was technically my home. You know, that's where our parents are, too, mm -hmm. and... Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the obvious pick. And like I said, I had gotten to know some of the priests in the area there in Ann Arbor, and I got to know the vocations director, um, who was, uh, Father Jerry Vinke at the time. Now he's uh, Bishop, Bishop, Bishop Jerry Vinke of, uh, Salina, Kansas. Yeah. So I got to know him. And so, yeah, again, sort of the rest is, is history. Um, yeah. So what, what did your brother think with all this going on when he's like, I got to follow my brother and do everything yeah. he does? <laughs> well, he was kind of amidst, you know, a kind of journey of his own. And uh, I don't I don't know that I can tell you, honestly, uh, sort of how he how, how he initially reacted <laughs> to my uh, to my announcement, you know, my decision to do this. Um, Why don't you tell us now? But, but I'll let him jump in and, <laughs> and take that. Um, when he when he said he was going to seminary, well, how did you feel about when he said he was going to become Catholic? I don't think I cared at the time, to be honest, okay. all that much. Mm -hmm. I thought like, oh, that's cool. You know, I think he, I, I think he expressed it to me. I, I, I watched this whole progression, and I felt like when he was starting at University of Michigan, maybe, maybe especially his second year, I feel like. I think the first year we were still living in Ohio as a family, and I didn't get to see him quite as much, and I know he was, you know, kind of just getting used to college. But I think his second year, I remember just seeing this change kind of happen slowly in him, where he just seemed like suddenly he would, he would, you know, he'd be praying and kind of doing the, just seeking the Lord, and like, yeah, you know, just things about him changed. Sometimes just like in the the jokes or whatever we we used to do, it's just like things were just kind of changing. I was like, what is going on with with you a little bit? It's kind of strange to watch and observe. And at the same time, he really was kind of coming alive, it seemed like, too. So there was like this whole shift that I would, I would kind of witness. So um, I remember it was in that, I'm sure that he mentioned at some point after he had kind of had this encounter with the Lord in a basic sense and was involved in University Christian Outreach, that he kind of expressed he was going to enter the Catholic Church. 
and at the time I was just like, well, that's cool. You know, that's great. You know, I was, I was kind of enamored still with motocross and other things. And I thought this is a good thing for him. And yeah, I don't think I really thought much about it. Is it true that you uh, were sponsored by Red Bull and at the X games? That's last not year? true. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the other podcast we did, uh, God bless uh, that one made, made uh, my, the motocross that I partook of my motocross days to made me to sound much more talented and gifted than I actually was. So I don't want <laughs> yeah, I was nowhere near being sponsored by Red Bull or ever being in anything like the X Games. Did you make a jump? Did you make a jump longer than a couple of feet? I did. Yes. And that's already, that's already too much. So that's <laughs> <Fair> awesome. enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he can, I mean, his basketball skills probably were more, uh, he just has to raise his arms. He yeah, doesn't yeah. have to do anything. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't uh, hurt. <laughs> naturally, I remember him training pretty hard in high school and like getting up for these early morning runs and all <laughs> sorts of stuff. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you you witnessed him become Catholic. You, did you go to the Easter Vigil and see him? I don't think I did no? actually. Unfortunately, in my life, I don't think I would have seen that as all that important at the time. Just to be really honest, uh, I do remember going to mass with him on a set of occasions after it kind of. Uh, just I think just high like Christmas Easter he would he he did a real intentional job of kind of just inviting us to certain things and and uh, my parents went and I just yeah I, I remember being kind of just taken by how yeah just kind of how faithful he had become you know he was really he wasn't just kind of I wouldn't just not to use a to say it in a bad way but he wasn't just kind of practicing he seemed like he was like the Lord had really kind of taken hold of him in a certain way. Mm. At least I could witness that, you know, and I, I didn't even know what, what to make of it, I think, at the time, but that, that's kind of was the outside looking in. That's what I felt like. Um, and so I think then I just would, I would kind of, yeah. I mean, he was always my big brother, and we always got on pretty well, even though we, we had our fair share of uh, fighting at times. Um, but I would always, he was always kind of a wise guy in terms of like I'd seek him out for certain, I'd bounce things off him. But I think especially as I kind of watched this happen in his life and, he seemed like he was, you know, just praying a lot, and and uh, I thought uh, I would start to just kind of naturally ask him things about my own life. I think, hmm. and so, anyways, yeah. So then, how did you get led to the Catholic faith? Mm. Uh, his sounds a lot more kind of smoother than mine, probably. <laughs> um, I was I was just thinking that Father Zach, as I was listening, you you almost seemed like you just eased into the Catholic faith and then eased into the priesthood. I know some people, it's it's a bit more of like a. He kind of eases into most things, I think, in life. So, some Was call it? me the Big Easy. So, uh, you know, I've got he's a, a he's a cool got a bit of a persona to live up yeah. to. He's, got a, he's a cool character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we just kind of ease into things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So ours was. I mean, I would just echo what he said. I think a lot of growing up. I remember we grew up practicing. You know, Lutherans. My, my mom's side of the family especially, but my dad's side too, as he got older, both were Lutheran and were practicing and kind of took them to church. So um, a lot of kids are like their altar servers in the Catholic faith. Was there altar serving for, for we Lutheran? We never did that. <laughs> I don't remember that. No, I mean, they, they, they might have. I mean, I think a lot of places would, would have that to a degree, but I, we never really did anything like that. But like I said, we were, we were sort of regular enough, um, you know, for sort of the first sort of 13, 14 years of my life and, mm-hmm. you know, the first sort of 10 of his, you know, we were regular, regular enough. Yeah, what's the age difference? Our participation. Yeah. So three years. Okay. Yeah. So he, I just turned uh, 37 this summer and I just turned 34. All right. Right. On. So, yeah. Hard yeah. to believe. Um, yeah. So, so, 
You know, I think it was it was mainly sort of fairly regular church going, coupled with you know things like like I was saying. You know, we did a, I did like a, uh, like a confirmation program as a Lutheran, and mm-hmm. you know there were some things like that 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 mm-hmm. that were part of the life, but um, but yeah, nothing nothing. It wasn't like sort of in the house we were sort of particularly religious, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no praying before meals or no, I, I think we, I mean, we were, I, I always kind of deem us as like American Christians. We just kind of prayed before meals and, you know, so we learned some very basic rudimentary elements of like, I would say Christian practice that my parents, I think just kind of, our parents kind of handed on from what they picked up as kids. And I, you know, I think especially as grandma and grandpa would be around, that was just something we, especially when they were in town and we would definitely go to church and, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, much like, like, uh, uh, Zach said here that I think as we hit, gosh, when we, w- I remember getting baptized in the Lutheran church or congregation when we were in Georgia. And then by the time we got to Ohio, um, I was about 11 and we had, we went for a little while, but we never quite found a home church home and we just kind of fizzled out. But all the while, I mean, he was a little bit older down the road. We went to, um, we had gone to some Protestant church or, uh, schools growing up in Georgia. And then uh, when we got to the Midwest and we got up to Ohio, as he went to Jesuit high school, I went to a Catholic school. And uh, so funny enough, we were probably around Catholic, the Catholic church more um, than maybe a lot of Catholic kids were, you know, in terms of schooling and stuff, Yeah. Uh, even though we weren't Catholic. So we weren't really practicing. We weren't going to Lutheran church, I remember, for a good stretch of years in middle school, high school. If we did, it was very sporadic once in a blue moon. But we were going to like mass at school on Thursdays, you know, and I remember just kind of looking up and I don't think I ever kind of grasped why. I mean, I, I think we just I always saw our practice of being Christian in a basic sense. It's just kind of like what good people do, you know, and like in America, you know, mm. and and uh, so I, I think as we drifted away, it almost seemed like we didn't really lose a whole lot to me because I don't think I ever really came to know God all that deeply hmm. from the beginning. And so um, it wasn't until we got to you know Ohio and kind of quit practicing, going to Catholic school. I do remember having we had religious religion class and um, a sweet lady who taught us. God bless her. And uh, yeah, there was. The faith then was at least explained a little more, but it was, I think it felt like a lot of data to me or it felt like a lot of information, knowledge, things that you kind of assent to. I don't ever remember hearing about like, and and it was probably told, I'm not saying that they didn't do a good job. It just, I don't remember hearing this like, this sense that like the God of heaven and earth who loves, who so loves the world, like came to rescue us from sin and from death, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, it just wasn't very personal. And so I remember going to Mass and just kind of at various points looking up, we had this crucifix in the church and knowing like that was central to why we're here, but I'm not really sure I could tell you why or what it really meant, you know? Mm-hmm. I have one memory of reading during Mass, even though I wasn't Catholic and just feeling really nervous getting up there and like trying to get all the pages right. And saying it, doing the reading really, really fast and then being kind of nervous again and sitting down quickly. And, uh, and so, yeah, just drifting through, uh, middle school. I mean, we, I, I had some familiarity with it. I know Zach did in high school, probably in a better sense than I did in middle school. But by the time I had gotten through Catholic, you know, grades, part of grade school and middle school, 
I, I went off to a year of the same high school he had gone to, a Jesuit high school in Toledo. And uh, I think the Lord was a bit more at the, at the forefront, you could say at the center, but I still didn't quite have a grasp of what Christianity meant for my life or certainly what Catholicism meant for my life. And I was much more, he was really into basketball growing up and things like that. And I, I kind of did a lot of those things, but then got really passionate about, my, as my parents would say, like, you just really love two wheels. So I always love like dirt bikes and motocross. And this became kind of my thing from mm -hmm. a really young age. He can probably laugh. I remember in the backyard, he used to build jumps and little track we had and had ramps and all sorts of stuff. And this just fascinated me. I'd spend hours out there. And so this became kind of my thing that I felt like my life revolved around and when I found life and a way to kind of express myself. And so um, I guess I'm just kind of launching into my own story here. Is that all right? Go That's, for it. Yeah, go for it. So um, yeah, so then we moved to into Catholic high school. And I, I remember uh, same one he went to, they, they put some opportunities forward for like retreats. I went on my first retreat my freshman year, I believe. And it was, it was good. I don't, again, I don't remember ever really glimpsing a certain sense of, you know, what the gospel was and why, why I should be a Christian, like what it actually means for my life. So I think I just had this sense of living of like, well, there's good people and there's bad people. And we're think, you know, thankfully we're kind of in the good group because we didn't kill anybody or anything, you know? And so, you know, that's why we go to church and we're just kind of good, nice people, you know? And, uh, and when I got to High school, I mean, there was a bit more of, again, of an involvement. We had a retreat, which I didn't, that was foreign to me at the time and time of prayer and stuff like that. But it was a bit more social, you know, um, issue oriented, you could say, and kind of doing, you know, I think we did some sort of kind of outing to kind of do a, a work of mercy or something. And it wasn't until I think, uh, so I, I, we moved after my freshman year up to Michigan. Zach was at U of M. And again, I'm kind of watching him have this conversion all the while being really, really involved in motocross and getting more and more involved as I got older, um, much to my parents. Uh, it wasn't their idea by any means. Uh, and I, I, that just became kind of my God, I think, as I just looked for that, for all of my happiness and stability, especially as we moved, didn't really want to move in high school and all my friends were in the dirt bike world now. And so I just would like on the weekends, didn't go to church. I would just, as soon as I got a driver's license, I would drive somewhere else, go to the dirt bike track. And that's where I was most every weekend. And uh, that kind of became this, uh, I think, just this venture that I had to say, like, this will make me happy if I just keep kind of moving toward my goal. And I always wanted to race dirt bikes for, you know, professionally or living in Southern California and do that <laughs> whole thing. And my parents and my good brother over here sp spoke a little bit of, you know, clarity to me and told me, you know, that's probably never going to happen for you. And uh, which is very, very accurate, but I at least wanted it. And then I thought, well, if I could at least work in the industry and, you know, you, you live in the motocross world, the more you get involved, the more there's a whole scene to it. And so, uh, yeah, the guys I emulated were, were in, in some ways really good guys in other ways, not really good guys. And uh, there's a whole kind of party scene with it. And uh, the Lord kind of preserved me from a lot of that. And yet I was very much around a lot of it. And so it just kind of had its, its way in a certain sense, I think, in my own heart. Um, and I remember, yeah, as I, as I got through high school, uh, just kind of starting to ask questions. Uh, my brother, again, would, I'd reach out to him. We used to go out to dinners occasionally, and I'd tell him stuff going on in my life, the girl I was kind of dating at the time and some, some struggles we were having and, like, seek his advice. And he would always say, well, maybe you should just pray about it. And I'm like, what? You know, like, well, what is that going to do? And, uh, and so, yeah, I just kind of was getting increasingly more and more set on motocross 
and that being everything my life revolved around and also at the same time realizing um, I don't know why I'm alive. I think I had that sense. I know there's something more to life than just kind of growing up, getting a job and living the American dream. And I think that in some ways God used motocross to kind of capture that desire in my heart to say like there has to be something more to life than this. Like I always felt deep within my heart this sense of like, gosh, this life, like there's some great heroic kind of destiny that's in the picture here that's part that that's my life's mm. going towards or for. Um, but I don't know what it is. And at the time I was just like, it must be dirt bikes, you know, like it must be just getting into this because everybody had a passion. You got to live your passion and, and eventually got more and more into it. And by my senior year, I remember just kind of hitting a point where I thought like, uh, I had just broken up with this gal who was dating a little bit in high school. And I thought like, well, I'm just going to like pour myself into dirt bikes. I don't want to go to college. I want to move to Southern California and just kind of like live the motocross scene and uh and that's where you know life will be found and then at the same time even though i wanted that i will sim- i was simultaneously experiencing slowly the lord i think showing me that motocross isn't going to satisfy me and i like started to kind of just i started to accomplish some things i was racing a lot more nothing dramatic but um you know i was getting injured some i broke my my wrist that was like my first big injury which led to other broken things and and hospital visits and all sorts of things. But I remember seeing a guy who I knew who raced professionally here who became a quadriplegic suddenly. And I just thought, wow, this is like kind of sobering. Mm-hmm. And uh, and wondering more and more, like, what is life all about? And uh, I remember, uh, again, my big bro kind of, well, maybe, you know, God's in the picture here somewhere. And I'm like, yeah, 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 no. But, <laughs> um, and this all kind of came, I think, to a head after I had graduated high school. Um, I had one of my, this family, I was uh, pretty good friends with the, um, the son and the dad because I raced with them every weekend and became friends with uh, my buddy's sister. And uh, she had kind of had all sorts of, she had had a conversion, but she had also had a conversion based on a, kind of a crisis in her life um, and a bunch of kind of stuff that went awry in her life. And I had kind of like really you know, really had a crush on this girl. And I was like, this is, you know, I, I started to kind of envision my life. Like I moved to California and things are going to work out with this gal and everything kind of, I, my parents told me like, well, if you, if you don't go to college, you know, you can't live here cause we love you and you motocross isn't going to do it for you. So you need to kind of think about the future. So that kind of closed that door. And then, um, you know, she, things didn't ever work out with her, but she had, she had also much like my brother started to reach out to me and was like, maybe there's something more to life than just, you know, motocross. And I, I think I saw as her life, some choices she had made, sinful choices and things like it all kind of led to her conversion, started to really put before me like, what, why am I really here? What's this all really for? I don't know. And I don't think I figured it out and I want to figure it out. And so I remember uh, my first year of college, I was asking all these questions. I had started even to pray like, Lord, I don't know why I'm here. I think it's to, to do dirt bikes. But I also know there's all these things in my life that aren't really in accord with how you want me to live. I had all sorts of sin and darkness in my life. I don't know what to do with that. I hope someday you'll just kind of like be gracious to me for those things that I've done wrong. And uh, if, if you if you like, would you just show yourself to me in some way? And then that led to me breaking my femur really bad my first semester of college. And that was kind of the moment. God, help me out. Exactly. Break your leg. Broke my leg. And I remember <laughs> just my, uh, I had kind of cried out to the Lord on the ground. I had this really just kind of intense realization I felt like were, I just felt like motocross was just kind of being pulled from me in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. And I thought if this is all my life, if this was the end of my life, again, I had had this guy who I knew had become a quadriplegic. And, uh, and, and with motocross, you just see people injured all the time and sometimes very 
intensely. Mm-hmm. So I thought like, if this was the end of my life, uh, I don't know why I'm alive. And I don't know why I'm here. And I don't know what the whole point of my life was for, which really got me thinking and got me crying out to God. And I just said, Lord, like if you get me through this, like I want to know you, I want to know who you are. And then uh, the faithful old bro here with me <laughs> in the hospital, and uh, he's like, I remember him saying, like, you want me to send the chaplain in? And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. I had enough drugs pumping through me. I was like, that sounds great. Send him in, you know. And uh, But eventually I got out of the hospital and got through surgery and all these things. And that led to me going back to church, which was his inspiration. He encouraged me. And I was like, I want to go to a church where, you know, nothing against uh, the Catholic Church at that point. I was just like, I don't feel at home there. I feel like I'm going to walk in and feel completely out of place because I'm not one of these necessarily just nice, good American people who belongs in church. Like, I want to go somewhere where the guys in the motocross track that, you know, are covered in tats, like I'm going to see one of them. Mm-hmm. And so I went to this mega church and that kind of, that was the first place that I actually started to hear uh, the love of God and Jesus and like the cross and the resurrection and the, and the gospel. And that really moved me and, and they would share testimony. And I remember watching people like talk about, you know, how their lives had been not just um, struck by Jesus, but like totally flipped upside down. Remember they had this cardboard testimony night and this one woman walked out and she had had like multiple abortions on one side. Then she flipped her card and she just, it said like redeemed, loved, and claimed as a beloved daughter. And I was like, wow, that's just really mm-hmm. moved me. Like the, God can really like bring beauty from ashes. And I, I knew I had ashes in my own life that I wanted him to make new again. So it, it struck me that like, oh my gosh, like I could actually be forgiven. I don't think I've ever really come to know that. Like, how did that not occur to me? That's what this was for. Like, Jesus Mm. came to forgive me, came to heal me, came to save me. And so I was simultaneously, I I had gone to community college. I was finishing that up. I went to Eastern Michigan. My brother all along in the background's like, yeah, you should get kind of involved in a campus ministry. So I got hooked up with some uh, really kind of charismatic Pentecostals on campus. And uh, that was the first environment where I just like encountered, you know, a men's group environment. Uh, we used to meet and have eggs and bacon with this guy in his apartment and there was four of us and we just kind of more or less just share like the raw parts of our lives, our struggles, our, our graces, and then we pray over each other. And that led to, we used to go out on campus and do kind of like, you know, walk up evangelization and like try to get people to, you know, to have, a, not like try to get them to have a conversion, but try to have the opportunity to present the gospel to them and pray with them. And Eventually that led to uh, me uh, coming to the Lord more deeply and, and also just, I would say, making like a first act of surrender of my life to Jesus and coming to know like he's really come for me and I want to give him everything. And that led to, you know, my, my brother always in the background, he's like, well, you know, um, I almost joined this little church that these folks were a part of and they wanted to rebaptize me. And he's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> you should, uh, <laughs> Maybe you should look into our roots a little more, you know, like, and he'd always invite me to mass, but I just was never really ready. And then uh, he was going off to seminary at this point. And I remember thinking, like, I don't even know about his eternal salvation, you know, as a Catholic at that time. And uh, yeah, and so we would we would duke it out on these road trips. We'd do sometimes to visit family and friends. And I was always struck that he he always had a good reason uh, for what he believed. It was always scriptural and it always kind of rested in tradition, and I was always kind of relying on this sola scriptura, this Bible alone, kind of trying to interpret my way through. Um, But that eventually, a lot of that led to me going back to a Lutheran church that was kind of born out of the charismatic renewal in the Ann Arbor area uh, while I was at Eastern finishing up, and that was a couple more years of just like much more, I'd say, deeper conversion, small group setting, like just starting to practice my faith. It led to me Eventually, I got back into racing for a few years, but my senior year, I remember just the Lord starting to kind of say, like, why don't you, the end of my junior year, 
the Lord saying like, why don't you just offer motocross up for a year? And I was like, oh, but I did that. I took the kind of this leap of faith and, uh, and Jesus really generously provided. And so, uh, was part of this Lutheran church. I had gotten involved with university Christian outreach, much like Zach had been. And I uh, gotten in living in a household situation that they had where like four or five of us kind of young adult guys would live in a house together. We pray morning prayer together and just kind of, I mean, we had like normal parties and things like that. We'd also like, we'd had dinners together a couple nights a week and we'd invite people in to try to bring them to the Lord or we invite friends over. We just, it was a good life together. And I was like really just kind of captured by the Lord in that living situation more and more. Um, yeah. And eventually that all led to me like kind of at this crossroads where I felt like the longer I was Lutheran, the more Catholic I was becoming. My brother would explain things to me on Mary, the saints, the Eucharist, church authority. Um, and then I had a guy who I had known from college ministry, um, Josh, and he and I would go out for beers and he just, he, he had a huge conversion, but also a reversion to his Catholic faith. And he knew the faith really well. And he loved the Lord more than I did, which really drew me to like want to talk to him. Hmm. And I was just like, this guy knows Jesus. And so he, we would wrestle through these questions and I, I was getting scared because I was like, this actually is making sense and it seems scriptural and it actually seems like he has a reason for what he believes. And I think I agree with it, which is frightening. Hmm. And so he would take me to adoration and I remember just praying like, Lord, I think this might be you. If it is like, I just need to come to know more deeply. And it was like, all I can ex- remember or ex- express about those in- occasions of sneaking away to adoration when I was still Protestant, it was like walking into kind of um, just a, a lot of divine love. It was like walking in and feeling the love of God in a way that never felt before. So you snuck in? I snuck into an adoration chapel, hmm. Christ the King in Ann Arbor. Thanks be to God for the 24-hour adoration chapel. And I remember just being there and thinking like, I hope, because there was Catholics from our campus ministry. You I was wear like, like I a fake Catholics, nose or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sunglasses and a hat. You know, I hope nobody just sees me and thinks I'm like a traitor, you know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I don't mean to make this super long-winded, but yeah, eventually uh, the Lord just kept doing his thing. And um, I remember I had, uh, I'm obviously leaving some details out along the way. It's a long story, but I remember I, I had was just finishing up college, had gone on this really pivotal kind of mission trip my last year with UCO in Mexico, was almost becoming Catholic in my heart and was getting really frightened, so I kind of put the brakes on it. And just try to say like, well, I'm just going to be Lutheran, you know, like, and just kind of like, I'm going to live that way. I'm going to deal with it, you know. And um, and I, I had agreed to, because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I felt like the Lord had some sort of, it was right to give him first dibs on my life. So I decided I'm just going to do a year of mission work with University Christian Outreach. I did that. I signed up for that, graduated college. Um, I had met this kind of really lovely Catholic gal. We had just become friends. And I remember taking out dinner a few times. And I wanted things to go a little more f- uh, forward. And she's like, no, I'm actually going overseas to do some mission work for a few years. So I've, I've made a promise to the Lord that I'm going to set things aside just to do that. And I was like, all right, well, all the while the big bro is like, yeah, maybe you should really discern your vocation, man. You know? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever that means. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, uh, we did campus ministry work and then, uh, our very first retreat, I just, as I'm wrestling interiorly with this draw to the church, I remember reading, Matthew's gospel where Jesus says, you know, you are a rock and on this rock will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this is really, I mean, I knew a lot of these things. I had been kind of converted, I think in my mind, but I had just been resisting it. And this was the moment that I felt like my heart just kind of said, okay, it's no longer a question of when, I'm sorry, if, if I will enter, but when I will enter. And I knew that this was Jesus's church. 
And I knew I wanted more of him and I knew that he was in his bride and I needed to enter, I wanted to enter his bride. So I came home from that retreat, told my boss and I was like, I think I need to enter RCIA. And he's like, great, do it, you know? And so I did that and uh, at the same time, um, now, where was this? This was at Our Lady of Good Counsel. So I was working for University Christian Outreach in Ann Arbor. I was living there. I was doing some work at U of M, but mainly at Eastern Michigan, where I had graduated from. Um, How did you get to Our Lady of Good Counsel? So it was just uh, it, it, a lot of things came together. So I was working for University Christian Outreach. So most of our work involved evenings. So most of the RCA programs that were nearby, I just couldn't be a part of scheduling wise. And I was also encouraged, like, maybe it'd be good to do it in a place where you don't know anybody, just so you can kind of have, like, a real experience on your own without being influenced by people from campus ministry <laughs> and things like that. And I thought, mm. that, that's, that sounds kind of nice. I can be a little bit free to do my thing, you know. And so I asked the big bro, and he's like, yeah, you know, I think, you know, this, there's a parish over in Plymouth, you know, and I mentioned a couple options. He's like, I think you'd probably like that place, you know, and, <laughs> and whatnot. So I just remember writing uh, Bob and Marion Smintowski, this gracious couple uh, who's now retired from the, the role, and they're like, yeah, come on in, we got space. And I just showed up and uh, one thing led to another and they were, it was a remarkable experience of conversion in my own life, coming to know that God, especially him as my father and uh, and just community. It was a great community. We had about 38 or 40 people in RCIA and wow. we went all the way to the end pretty much. Mm. Um, now, but did, it, did your brother come to the Easter vigil to see you? He was actually in Rome, I think. Because mm. oh. he, was, he was off in theology studies at this point. Mm -hmm. But I do remember him saying, so I'm coming into the church, I'm working for UCO, I'm also kind of in the background, somewhat a little frightened by this discernment question. And I remember, you know, the servants of the word, he mentioned these, these missionary brotherhood, of Christian missionary brotherhood. Um, they had kind of sponsored our campus ministry and they had invited all of us in the last year of college or post, you know, discern your vocation. So this gal who I had kind of, um, just really appreciated and, and liked it a lot. And uh, she was kind of doing that in her life. And I was like, all right, I need to do this in my own life. And uh, and I did that. And the more I did that, much like the church, I just kind of kind of get a little bit frightened by, I felt like the grace the Lord gave me of like, in the ways that he had forgiven me in my life and set me free in my life and loved me in my life, I just wanted to give my whole life back to him is what I experienced. And, uh, and the brothers were great. The servants of the word, they're like, you know, they encouraged a bunch of us, like come on some of these discernment weekends. So I started doing a little discernment in the background uh, even as a Protestant, but I never felt like that was the context. And so I felt like there was a grace to give my whole existence to the Lord and, and to kind of be single or be celibate for the sake of the Lord's kingdom. But I didn't really know like in what way. And then I think as I, as I went through RCIA and came to know God the Father in my life, and especially coming to know him the, as my father through the sacraments, confession and all this, I thought like, I want to make known the Father. And I think like the only way I can understand it is to be a priest which sounds crazy because mm. I never thought about being a priest and I not even technically fully Catholic yet, but that's kind of where it all began. So, I mean, did you have to wait a couple of years before you could truly discern a call to the priesthood and enter the seminary? How did that all work out? Yeah. Similar to, to Zach, I had to, um, I remember telling our parish pastor, uh, Father John, and he's just like, well, you know, why don't you uh, do another year of like missionary work? You like that a lot. And I was like, I do. And he's like, you know, you probably, you're, they're going to want you to wait probably two years anyways. So all the better, you got time to discern, you know? So, uh, and he threw a couple options out there to me. And a lot of those options, the door just shut, door just shut, the door just shut. And the last option he threw out is like, well, you know, if you'd be willing to kind of help various things in the parish evangelization, you could, you know, come live at the rectory and kind of just see the priestly life in a certain sense from, 
you know, in a real time way. And that actually worked. And I did that for a few uh, set of months and it was a, a really rich and grace time. And, um, yeah, I just felt like as I, as I, I kind of helped out with some like, um, evangelization stuff at the parish there, I just felt more and more of a draw. Like I want to, I want to give myself to the Lord and I think he's calling me to be a priest. Um, and then I, I did that for a year and then I lived in another kind of a, a guy's household the second year with some guys I knew from campus ministry days and then eventually entered the seminary and, um, here I am. So did you always feel like you're Johnny come lately? You just following your brother wherever he goes or <laughs> in some ways, I suppose in some ways we have a very, like, it's amazing how he really did. The Lord used him. I think a lot of my life and still does. Um, he's a lot more, uh, he's just kind of like a rock kind of a presence in a lot of ways. He's also very chill. He's more chill than anybody I know. Um, <laughs> Thanks. But but yeah, I think in a lot of ways we're very different. So I'm I'm a little bit like uh, 100 miles an hour at times, where he's a little more of a steady, you know, 75. You're motocross, and he's <laughs> he's the big easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your first year, this is your going into your second year of priesthood. Yes. Now. Okay. And then you've been Father Zach. You're eight years now. Uh, six years. Six years. I just now. hit six years. Yes, I'm going into my seventh year. Okay. So you've got a lot more experience when it comes to priesthood and everything. Have you had talks about what to do in ministry or you're like, I don't know what to do in this situation. You call up your brother. Is it kind of like that type of relationship or, or do you guys still talk to each other on a daily basis or a weekly basis? Or We we talk regularly. I mean, I would say we, we communicate in some way or another, you know, probably a couple times a week, you know, usually if, if it's just a brief text or something. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we talk about things in ministry pretty regularly. Again, probably every week or two, something or other. And, you know, we, we see each other often enough. We often will, you know, get together with our folks sort of once a month or once or twice a month. So, yeah, no, I think that, that dimension's been very good and, and enriching and edifying. Well, what I find really interesting about you, too, is that, you know, your brother priests— so there's something really cool about that. There's not too many people in this world that can say that. There, mm-hmm. There's a few I can think of in the archdiocese mm-hmm. right now. But not only that, you guys were drawn to like some type of priestly fraternity as mm-hmm. well, or even before the priesthood, you kind of lived in community. You want to explain a little bit of, about that priestly fraternity and what that means to you and how that helps your own priesthood? And So if a guy like doesn't really understand what that's about, to kind of explain it for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think we both had the experience like in college, you know, through this group UCO we were mentioning in particular, but then I also lived the priest that, um, you know, helped me through the RCIA program at at St. Thomas in Ann Arbor. They started a little discernment house there for guys. They had one for girls too next door, but they started one for guys who were open uh, or interested in discerning a, a priestly vocation so you could come and live there with other guys and pray with them and and again i think we both had this experience from some of these household uh you know uh, experiences in the summer at different points in the academic year of just yeah experiencing kind of the richness of you know living and and praying and sharing faith and life with other guys um so I think that dimension was kind of, um, you know, something we, we both came to appreciate early on and, and, and savor as we went through all this. Um, I, I, in my first assignment, I lived in Flint 
the first two years I was ordained. So I lived and worked with a, a group of other priests there. Um, and, and that was, that was really rich. I mean, there were five of us and, um, we didn't, we didn't have sort of a really sort of strict, uh, orarium or anything like that, or, you know, kind of schedule of life that we had in like a regimented way, but it was, it was just very rich and good to, to live with other guys and, you know, to have other guys nearby if you wanted to talk about things or seek input, um, or that sort of thing. And, and yeah, I would say as a priest that, that dimension of, 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 seeking out and fostering fraternity has been an important and a lively one yeah. uh, I think for both of us you know and um, and and that and that plays out in a variety of ways uh, you know concretely but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see how you both came to the Lord just through other people like mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. completely different from me like mm. maybe I talked to my mom about my faith but I didn't talk to anybody else mm. about it it was mm-hmm. just like sort of me and the Lord and what I got in books and things like that and you guys were like Relational. I mean, you guys both seem more extroverted and everything like that, so that makes sense for your lives. Now, Father Drew, you you were also in a, a priestly fraternity. You want to explain a little bit about that? Yeah, I would just say it was it was more with these like household settings, which was kind of connected to this group called the Servants of the Word. But yeah, we just lived in these. I don't know. It was a household of four or five guys. My brother did it before me, as with most things. <laughs> it seems like in this in this season of life, but. Uh, it was great. We just, it was like the faith became, it was like knowing God became kind of infectious because we're all kind of, we're all in this, we're really different guys living together, but we're all running towards the Lord. And because we're all running towards the Lord, it would just kind of, you just kind of spur each other on, um, or, you know, iron sharpens iron, you know, like we would just, it would, even though we didn't necessarily always like, you know, verbally encourage somebody the very fact that like okay i'm gonna get up in the morning because we just said we're gonna pray at this time and i remember you know that's that was difficult back then when it's you know the middle of winter i'm in college it's early in the morning you know you're exhausted and we're all coming down everybody is and we're starting to kind of pray together and i remember just having these experiences i know zach did too just the way we did morning prayer at a certain point we would just kind of have a time of worship and then guys would just pray out from the heart and i remember just hearing guys next to you just praying out like really from their heart what they needed or what what God was doing and it was just like wow this guy's just kind of like pouring himself out and I get to kind of I'm not trying to listen but I can kind of almost he's he's kind of doing it in a certain kind of humble vulnerable way and I'm and inspired me to do the same which eventually led I think to just a, a greater confidence in God and an openness to him and knowing that he's alive and that he wants to work and um it made the knowing God real you know more and more real I think and then I think the the other grace of it was like um you just know you have, it was a certain uh, taste of like what it means to be a brother and not just a name, but like, you know, we really like, we were kind of looking out for each other. We, we shared life together. We shared struggles together. We shared joys together. We'd have a, you know, a big party in the backyard, cigars and people over and grill out and whatever. And then we'd also, you know, uh, we sometimes do like service together or go try to evangelize, you know, uh, in a certain setting together, or we'd just be praying as a house for a certain person together uh, and trying to reach out and support them, whatever. So you just, yeah, you kind of live, you share life together and not kind of in a um, programmatic way, but in a much more relational way, yeah. mm-hmm. which I think makes the, it just, the, the Christian life becomes more real and more um, ardent, I guess. It just kind of, it's like contagious. Yeah. 
it's worth it. That's why I love it. Yeah. Well, Father Zach, you have a, more of a community being at the seminary because mm-hmm. you got a bunch of priests that live together. Mm-hmm. So I assume you're having dinner and you're having talks and you're hanging out with each other. Father yeah. Drew, how do you get fraternity now? Like, I'm actually in a I'm in a group with uh, Father David, Father Dave. That's right. That's right. We have a just a little men's group, a uh, few classmates of ours, and we uh, we just meet up every so often. What like. Once a month, we shoot for, um, and just just share life, pray together, uh, share graces and struggles, uh, encourage yeah. each other on. Have a meal, couple yeah. cigars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think too. Just like my brother's been really good about this, and encourage just like having friendships and making time for that. Like other other guys, you mm-hmm. keep up with. I mean, our mm-hmm. classes. Um, we, we're in like, you know, we're texting each other regularly. You're kind of just yeah. sharing stories. You know, if somebody needs prayer. Or, Call it check up on each other. Yeah, joking with each other, like kind of, you know, it just keep things keeps things kind of honest and, and down to earth and sincere. And my brother's he's always been a good example of that. You know, I know he's got the same stuff with a lot of his own priest friends and whatnot. And it does it keeps you from becoming, I think, like overly professional in a certain way. And it keeps mm. it keeps your own like your own relationship with God real. You know, you're not just a professionally religious person. Mm-hmm. It keeps um, you keeps you human. Right? Keeps you human. Yeah. yeah, I'd say that at least. I don't know yeah, yeah. I like I like the way you put that. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, maybe maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago, you know, the the forties and the fifties. I think there was just a lot of community built into the priesthood, with, where you'd have multiple guys living in a rectory. And then I think uh, over the last maybe thirty years or so, that became less and less the case as priests were, you know, kind of spread thinner mm-hmm. and. Uh, I just I think a lot of uh, guys in the priesthood are seeing more and more the need for for some sort of fraternity, some sort of brotherhood, some sort of community, just to to really encourage each other. Like you said, iron sharpens iron, mm-hmm. uh, just just to be there as brothers for each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll just put in a shameless plug for what what I got going on this year is uh, we do have a discernment group that meets every month. That would be a yeah. wonderful thing to come uh, to, to come to that to nice. iron do sharpen it. iron, right? <laughs> so, I think last year we had nine guys in it, and I think six or seven of the guys uh, asked for an application for the seminary. So, I mean, awesome. it was doing what we wanted it to do is to yeah. really talk about the priesthood and. We're hopefully going to be doing our discernment weekends as well, so uh, please check out our website because uh, that's another great way in which you can actually live with the seminarians for about four days and kind of see what life is like. So it would be a wonderful experience for anybody who's interested in that. So I just want to give you both just a little bit of time here. If, if, if you were speaking to a discerner right now, like what would you say to them? Like what's the best advice both of you can give to them right now? I'm I'm a young man thinking about the priesthood. What should I do? I think the main thing I would encourage you to do is just just pray. You know, um, I mean, live a sort of you know, uh, sort of ordinary Catholic life. You know, sort of go to mass, do the do the things that that the church would ask of you. But I would I would encourage you to you to pray. You know, in a, in a lively and in a personal way, specifically about this. You know, and and uh, you know, one of the things I've been struck by in preaching the last few years, um, we get not uncommonly these, you know, healing scenes where Jesus heals someone in the Gospels. And one of the things that struck me of late, especially, is that 
often when Jesus interacts with people in those sorts of scenes, you know, the, the thing he'll say to them is something like, what do you want? Or what do you want from me? Or what do you want me to do for you? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I've just been kind of struck and, and captivated with that. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I think, you know, um, to the extent that we can take those scenes as really being uh, models for us on the spiritual level. I mean, I think, um, I think there's really something there to that idea of just, uh, coming before God, coming before the Lord and, and, and telling him what we do want or, you know, asking him what he wants from us and, you know, kind of bearing our hearts to him in a deeper way, you know? And, uh, and I think a lot of real sort of, uh, action and work can happen when we do that and we're willing to kind of open ourselves up uh, before God in that sort of manner. So I, I think that's the main thing I would encourage guys to do is just to, yeah, to, to, to pray more, to pray more fervently, to pray more wholeheartedly and really to kind of, you know, open themselves up uh, before the Lord about their lives and where they're headed and where they'd like them to head and, and so on. Hmm. Awesome. Father Drew, any any other words of advice? He's usually the smarter one. So, uh, but I would say get uh, yourself a motocross bike. And that's right. Yeah, start riding <laughs> dirt bikes. No, uh, I I think I, all of what he said, but also just like uh, you think of the the widow in the Gospels, where you know she puts all she has into the jar. You know, the two mites. She kind of gives her whole livelihood to the Lord, and I think. Uh, that's kind of the invitation, I think, of discernment in some ways. It's just like giving your whole self to Jesus and letting him kind of work it out, you know, um, surrendering, you know, whatever. Uh, here I am, like all my baggage, all that I am, like um, I just want to give myself to you. I think the vocation comes from a certain kind of just being caught up in the love of God and in like knowing him. He'll kind of make clear the vocation, um, but a, a certain kind of just putting your whole life on the altar and how, when, when you do pray, when you do seek the Lord, like, Lord, I'm all yours. Like, I, I just want to know, I want, I want more of you, you know, and, uh, and being open and, and not putting, you know, kind of walls up or a certain kind of pre-planning how it's going to go or, you know, dictating too much how that might look, just giving God like comp as, as, um, companions of the cross, I always say like, just complete permission, you know, to do whatever he wants to do with your life knowing that like if I if I say yes to whatever he has um, he's gonna not only see me through and be incredibly faithful to me but he's gonna like bring about my salvation please God if I if I kind of cooperate you know mm -hmm. um, and I'm gonna be I'm actually gonna have joy you know like I'm actually gonna have life uh, not gonna that's gonna be easy um, but it, it's gonna be it's gonna be him and it's him that I'm made for you know um, and I think also just to comment on my brother he's been really great for this and the, the second part is kind of just as David said, other David said, uh, you know, keep it, be human still, be yourself, you know, like be honest, be kind of just sincere about where you're at mm. and uh, let the Lord really work with you. And and don't try to like, sometimes I think in discernment, we can have these like, we hear all this good and it's good stuff, but it's like we have, you know, pillars and we have all these documents on discernment. We have all these kind of discernment helps and, you know, pieces mm. and like pot, you know, all sorts of things you can kind of subscribe to for greater discernment stuff, which is great. Like podcasts? Like podcasts. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like we're all different, you know, and like nobody fits mm. into a box. And, uh, and the Lord Jesus is the one who calls. And if he's calling, like 
as one uh, the servants of the word guys once told me, he just said, you know, go until he says no, and then you'll know. But if he doesn't say, mm-hmm. it, it, they said, don't give up, don't don't kind of short shoot him, don't make conditions, just give everything to him and just go until he says no. And that's kind of what I did. I feel like and. And he said yes. He didn't didn't say no. You know, he just yeah. kept calling me forward. So, mm. anyways, those are some wise words. You have some wisdom yourself. I now. just <laughs> other smart people have told me, like my brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, Father Zach and Father Drew, thank you so much for coming out and speaking with us. This is a wonderful uh, time to get to know you and to know uh, how you came to the Lord, how you came to know the Catholic faith, and ultimately come to the priesthood. Father Zach, as the older brother, do you want to lead us out in prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, for the gift of new life and of hope that you've given us through him. We thank you that you've given us callings, that you've given us vocations, that you've given us direction for our lives in you. With gratitude, we trust ourselves to you, We entrust those who are discerning and seeking your guidance and your will for their lives to you. And we ask that all of us and all that we do and all that we are might continue to become more fragrant offerings, that we might glorify you in our lives, that we might honor you with our service, and that we might continue to love you and know you more and more through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, everyone, again. This is a wonderful time to be with you. You've been listening to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Again, join me, your host, Father Craig Guerra, and Father David Pelican, as we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese and from the Diocese of Lansing, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcast and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com. God bless everyone.